do, we're going to have our young minister for the night come up and uh, give a word that God has given him. Amen. So if you want to welcome our conga player, amen, brother. Brother Brad, as he comes up and ministers to us. Thank you. Praise the Lord, church. seated. How's the sound, John? Is it okay? A little louder? All right. God is so good to us. And the thing that came to me in prayer, uh, there's one moment, one thing that I have in prayer that came to me today and then in other parts um, from earlier this week, but uh, the, something that came to me in prayer today is a very loving message to you um, that I wanted to touch on first. Something that um, I think, I hope remains a theme in all of our hearts and all of our minds every day is that God truly does love us. He does love us. And um, to talk about that a little bit, um, I, I have... Re- been presented with and maybe you have at times where people will approach me and um, sometimes ask me hard questions about life and about Christianity Um, and one of the things that I think comes from many times comes from a very genuine place uh, when people ask it of me is uh, they genuinely ask how can anybody who is good suffer and as you know that's a hard question and what I felt like was led in my spirit tonight was to, is to somewhat, to some degree, answer that from the scripture just a little. Because I think God just wants to remind you that he loves you. And um, so the first scripture that we have is Matthew 5, verse 45. Let me get up my... That ye may be children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So you may be seated again, sorry. Got a few more scriptures coming your way. Uh, The first thing that comes across this is... There's a lot of times where God talks about suffering in the Bible. And as we know, even Jesus Christ himself went to the cross and suffered. And a a sobering thought he shares many times is he had to share it with Job. He had to share it with all the disciples. He had to share this concept that it does, the sun does rise on the unjust and on the just. It does rain on us. It rains on everyone. And so this thought, first of all, is a very sobering thing that God recognizes, first of all, he does recognize rain. He knows about it. He knows what you're going through. So much so that he empathizes and sympathizes so much that he sent his only son to live on the earth and to walk as we walk and to do as we do to show how much he truly cares, even up to the extent of going to the cross. 
And so I'd like to redirect our, another scripture uh, to Romans 8, verses 17 through 18. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the... The true underlying thought I want to give to you is going to be revealed even more closely in the next couple of scriptures. Is that even though we might be going through stuff now, if you're going through things now, God wants to give you hope for heaven. He wants you to know that even though you might be suffering, he's made a place for you. I would think that the reason why the disciples had so much courage, even when they knew they were walking to their death, even when they knew that they were going to be under persecution, it wasn't because they weren't going to be without a problem, but it was because of what? Their hope in heaven. And that's the thing that carried them. That's the thing they understood that gave them bravery and courage to go through anything. And the Bible says here that we just read that the sufferings you have aren't even worthy of being compared to heaven. So just know that God has that in store for you. And the next couple of scriptures in the same chapter is 23 through 28. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown with ourselves, waiting for, adoption, for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is... Seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But, it? but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So, in this scripture that we just read, one of the ways that we're saved is actually through hope. And again, it's hope in heaven. It's hope in knowing for sure who he was. What did John the Baptist do, you know, what, what, went, what went on in his life when he was about to be deheaded, beheaded? He asked Jesus, are you, are you really the, the guy who's going to bring salvation? And he just reminded him, don't the blind see? Right? Don't the lame walk? And he just gave him a reminder, yes, I am the salvation. Remember that. And that was the thing that John needed to hear was just remember that no matter what you're going through, God really does have a place for you. And he really does want you to have hope in heaven because he does love you and he cares about you and he knows that it rains. But he wants you to know for sure that he's on your side and that he loves you and he wants to take care of you. So I encourage you to hope. Hope in heaven. And the last, 
the the other part of this little sermon is to kind of um, add on to what we just read um, slightly, which is it's about prayer. And so let me just jump right to the scriptures here. Um, Skip that one. I'll make my, my second set here first. Matthew 6, 30 through 34. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, which shall not much more clothe you, O ye little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So the Bible also talks about... uh, to not be anxious, but to pray, right? And so I just want to encourage you that whatever you're dealing with, it's going to be, you're going to be helped so much if you invest in that personal relationship with God where you're actually praying to him about the needs you have. Um, and I just felt kind of, you know, in my heart to kind of redirect the thought of prayer maybe to some people or to myself, or which is that when you pray, like if I, when I pray for strength, in my arm, I don't just pray it like it's a superpower, just it's going to develop my arm like, I pray for strength, and then now I have the strength. The thing, when you pray, you're actually having a conversation with God. So it's, God, I need strength. I need strength today. And you can see the difference there. It's not a mystical dance of just summoning power. It's a conversation. And when you really dive into having a true conversation with God and you open yourself up to that idea, God matches that faith and he will help you with your prayer. He will. And I, I mention this all the time, but it's, it's so important that you make a habit of prayer. And I would recommend from today that you, that you intentionally make it at least every day that you pray. Every day. And when I first became a Christian, the way to get me to do that was I had to set an alarm on my phone. It was like at 6.15 or 6.45 at night. It was convenient around my schedule, and I would just set an alarm that reminded me to pray for at least five minutes. That was it. That was my first attempt. That was my first way to pray. And it really, really helped me because all it did was send me that reminder that I'm not praying about things. And I need to just take a minute to pray, take a few minutes to pray. And I would challenge you to do that until it becomes a habit. It should be like that um, on anything you do throughout the day. And so the last scripture I had for you is um, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Which simply says, pray without ceasing. So if you're having trouble with things that you're going through, and you need some hope, I recommend first that you pray. Because God is real, God loves you, and he wants to bless you and keep you. And so take some time to give those things to God in prayer because it even says the things you don't even know how to say, 
God knows. And the Spirit will make intercession for you. And how beautiful is that? So I just want to encourage you guys tonight, in Jesus' name, to have hope and to pray. Thanks, Brad. The hope of heaven. Amen. As uh, the scripture said that uh, it's not really hope if you can see it, but you gotta be, it's got to be kind of like faith. It's invisible. It's something that you're striving for. And I think a lot of times uh, is when if hope is invisible and then all of a sudden we have a visible problem in our, in our face, then we can lose sight of where our hope is, and that can cause, uh, you know, discouragement and dismay and all those things. So, Keeping our, our hope in heaven, amen, no matter what comes our way, amen, and we'll get through it, amen. Amen, we're continuing on tonight um, in the series we started last week called The Great Reset. Our text is taken from Daniel, the second chapter, uh, start reading verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass. It doesn't sound too terrible. Uh, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the brass, and the silver, and the gold, the broken pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. That no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Man, we started this uh, series last week, searching the scriptures and examining prophecies that pertain to not just the Jews... Uh, and the nation of Israel, but also to us Gentiles. We want to we wanna get in on some of the action as well. Uh, and so we are encouraged by the fact that both the nation of Israel and the church existed together some 2,000 years ago. And now, within the past 70 years, now the church and Israel are back again on center stage. It's a great time to be alive, no matter what's going on in the world, just to see Israel uh, come back to life. Jesus brought attention to the time period in which we are currently in. That time began some 1,600 years ago, and this period is referred to as the times of the Gentiles. And Jesus said that Jerusalem and the nation of Israel will be under the dominion and the rule of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And the fact that the nation of Israel has resurfaced and how just recently Jerusalem was reinstated as its capital, it would seem to me at least that the times of the Gentiles might be coming to an end. And what that means, according to Scripture, is basically basically the end of the world as we know it. And then after that is the millennial reign, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth will take place, and 
it will be the greatest kingdom that this world has ever seen. The greatest kingdom to have ever existed will be the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And talk about a great time to be alive. Talk about the great set, the great reset, right? Can't wait for the day where the great reset happens. But until that day, until that time arrives, um, we are left with lowercase g, great resets of Gentile kingdoms. The Bible tells us that of these Gentile kingdoms that will rule the world, um, or a reading from our day in 2020, the kingdoms that have ruled the world, uh, and there are those that still have to come to power. The book of Daniel contains uh, many of these dreams and prophecies where we are told uh, that represent kingdoms that will rule this world or have ruled the world. Um, the book of Daniel, the more I dive into it, the more I'm fascinated by it, how uh, this man man of God was given these dreams and visions and even interpreted, interpreted uh, the dreams of uh, some pagan king. Uh, but it's amazing what God revealed to this man David and or Daniel, sorry, what he revealed to Daniel and how it uh, would come to pass hundreds of years after him. He, he, wrote, he wrote the future. He gave the future to Daniel because Daniel was wondering what was going to happen to the nation of Israel. And so God gave him basically the textbook of the future. And so we see uh, these, this dream, or at least one of these dreams, first appear in the early book of Daniel the first one we see is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, which we read we read in our opening text, and, and verse 32 says, the, image, the image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. And so in this vision and this dream, each metal represents a different kingdom of the world. Uh, when world power shifts from one kingdom to the next, a reset happens. A change takes place, a change politically, change economically, change culturally. Obviously, a new ruler comes in and does what they want to do. And so, um, each one of these medals represents a different time, a different kingdom of the Gentile rule of this world. Can you imagine... Uh, the changes that took place during these these times uh, to bring it to our uh, doorstep. Can you imagine if China came and conquered the United States? There would be a great reset. A great reset would happen. Things would change here in America because this nation would have been con would be conquered by another nation, and so the conquering nation therefore gets to say what the rules are. Uh, and so if China did that, uh, obviously things would change here drastically. Um, and so this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is and, and the interpretation because that's what uh, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar demanded. In verse 36, he, here's an interpretation. This is the dream. And we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, 
art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory, and wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler of them all. Thou art this head of gold. And so Daniel interprets a dream and says, uh, King, Bab- King Nebuchadnezzar, this dream, you are the head of gold. That represents you and your kingdom, the Babylonian Empire. That's what that represents. And uh, Daniel, by the way, is writing this while in Babylon. Uh, this, this, this power, world power, has already come to be. It has already conquered Jerusalem and Judea and uh, most of the world, known world back then. And so Daniel is in Babylon writing this and saying, you king are the head of gold, your kingdom is uh, in power now. And so this begins the times of the Gentiles, where the Gentile kingdoms would rule the world. They would rule over the people of God um, uh, as they came and they conquered them. Uh, just a few years before this interpretation and this dream happened. And so this is the dream that a Gentile has concerning the times of the Gentiles. Now, Daniel, at a later point, many years later, he also had many dreams and visions concerning the Gentile kingdoms of this world. And Daniel's dream looks uh, a little bit different than King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel sees animals or he sees beasts in Daniel chapter 7. And he was seeing verse 3. Four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Behold another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised itself up on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it, and thus said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. And so you can see, obviously, that this is kind of, this is drastically different then King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and vision of, of these nations. And why does Daniel see it so differently? If, if, they're to, if they are to represent the same nations the same time, why the different viewpoints? Uh, why the different uh, nation representative by either metals or beasts? Well, the, the first one we obviously read is... Uh, from the view and the position of King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he saw right there. That's his dream and vision. He is a Gentile king. And the other one, Daniel's vision, um, he is a Jew that has been conquered. And so if you were the king of the world, how do you think you would view yourself in your kingdom? Probably kind of like this with your head of gold. You know, so that's that's what how King Nebuchadnezzar saw it. And if you were a Jew that witnessed your city sacked and destroyed, 
how would you view that kingdom? Maybe like a lion or a bear devouring much flesh because it's coming after you. Uh, and so you got the Gentile view and you got a Jewish view of these things because as Jesus said in Luke 21, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be trodden and shall be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so this, Jesus is describing not a good picture for Jews. Not a good picture for Jerusalem and the people of Israel because they are to be led away captive. They are to be trodden down by the Gentiles. They are to be ruled over by the Gentiles. And so the times of the Gentiles does not look good for the Jews. And so that's why Daniel sees great beasts in his visions of the kingdoms of the world as the Gentiles uh, are the rulers of the world for some time. Now Daniel's vision in chapter 7, uh, Daniel chapter 7 is one of the, the great uh, controversy chapters in the Bible because these kingdoms are described, uh, but we're not told specifically what any one of them are. King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we are told that, hey, king, you're the head. And so, okay, we got that. We figured that out. We can kind of go from there. Uh, if Babylon is the head of gold, the, ba the, the kingdom that conquers Babylon uh, was probably silver. Whoever conquers uh, after them would be, the, uh, would be bronze and so on and so forth. But in, in, in Daniel's dream and interpretation, we're not specifically told which nation is which. And so uh, through history books, we can tell what kingdoms uh, the metals represent, but Daniel's great beast we are not told. And so the first was like a lion in verse 4. The first was like a lion had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked out and it was lifted up from the earth and it made to stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. And so if you put up picture number one, uh, this is what Daniel saw. Something like this. A lion with an eagle's wings. Um, and so you can see how it would kind of, what, what would you rather look at, the golden statue or would you rather look at that? That doesn't look too pleasant. Uh, and it, since he's a Jew, he was conquered, he saw this kind of happen in his, uh, in his life. And so uh, some, some, some would say that, the, that Great Britain is the lion and that the eagle's wings plucked out of it represent America. Uh, maybe that is, maybe that isn't. The Bible doesn't give any more insight toward that. Uh, but there are scriptures that describe Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar as a lion and as an eagle. We see in Jeremiah 4, set up the standard toward Zion, retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. This is the prophet Jeremiah in uh, Jerusalem uh, given the word from the Lord to the people, he's describing a coming destruction. And verse 7, the lion is come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy cities shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. And so Jeremiah is saying, hey, the destroy, a destroyer is coming, a lion is coming our way uh, because we have not 
uh, turned to God. We have not repented of our ways and of our sins. And therefore, God is sending a destroyer to come and destroy us. And Jeremiah is describing him as a lion is coming out of his thicket. A lion is the symbol of strength and courage. It is chief among the kingdoms. And so... Uh, uh, we read earlier that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says that God has given him uh, dominion over all the earth, all the land, all the people. And so if the, if the lion is the chief of the animal kingdom um, and the eagle would be chief of the bird kingdom, kind of would make sense if, if this represents uh, Babylon. But there's also archaeological evidence that has been found that the lion represents ancient Babylon. Picture, the next picture, please. Uh, this is actually, this is called the Lion of Babylon uh, that was found in Babylon um, about maybe 100 years ago or so. Uh, the Lion of Babylon, and it's in some museum uh, over there. And then picture number three. Uh, this, these were actually on the walls of uh, the Ishtar Gate, the, the main gate of Babylon. You would walk into the palace area, and there was lined with, wall, with uh, lions all along the walls. And so um, King Nebuchadnezzar obviously liked lions, and there were lots of lions represented in his kingdom. And so uh, that would make sense if this was the lion uh, as Babylon. We also see in Jeremiah 4.13 as he's continuing his prophecy towards the people of God. Behold, he shall come up as clouds and his chariots shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. And he, he writes in Lamentations after it's happened, uh, 4.19, Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of the heaven. They pursued us upon the mountains. They laid for us in the wilderness. And so he's describing, he first describes them as lions coming, and now he, as they have arrived, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar has arrived and is ransacking Jerusalem, he's saying they have come swifter than eagles of heaven. And when eagles are symbolically used in Scripture, sometimes usually represents the speed and swift, swiftness that an eagle would strike his prey. And the same could be used for armies and kingdoms if they come in and strike you quickly as Jeremiah witnessed and says they came in faster than eagles did. And so what is interesting is that the Assyrians, who were in power even before King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, they were in power some 200 years before uh, Babylon arose uh, they had these all up over their cities. The next picture, please. This is what they had up in their cities. Uh, it is the body of a bull with a human head, and they had eagle's wings on them representing, uh, obviously, the swiftness that they came in. And can you imagine a bull coming at you as fast as an eagle? That would cause quite the destruction. And the Assyrians were not people to play with. They... They were pretty wicked, evil people. And so if the, if the Assyrians had things like this in their city in 900 B.C., uh, many years before Babylon arrived, um, it could be said that the lion 
in chapter 4, or verse 4, was representative of Babylon as well. It says, the first was like a lion and had his eagle's wings, and I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Talk about a, a great reset. This lion that has eagle's wings, then all of a sudden now the Bible says the wings are plucked out of it. It's lifted up to the earth and made to stand as a man, and, and a man's heart was given to it. Something obviously happened. Something happened to the wings and to the heart of this lion. If the eagle's wings represent speed and military conquest, then the plucking of wings would seem that maybe the military conquest was stayed or stopped or slowed down. The lion then stands up like a man and a man's heart was given to it, which sounds like the lion's heart or the beast's heart was replaced with a man's heart. And as strange as this this scenario kind of sounds, something like this kind of actually happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, if you can recall in Daniel chapter 4, where he also had another vision um, of a, a great tree that was reached up into the heavens, and then it was cut down. And verse 10 we see, Thus were the visions of mine head and my bed, I saw, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's talking, I saw and behold a great tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew, was strong, and the height thereof reached under the heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and the flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and holy one came down from heaven. He cried out and said, Thus, hew down the tree, cut off its branches, shake off the leaves, scatter his fruit, let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, and even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let this portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. And let his heart be changed from a man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. Um, If you recall this happening to King Nebuchadnezzar, literally, um, musicians, if you would come, literally as... Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was bragging about how great he was and, and how Babylon was so great and that was all because of his power and his might and his, and his uh, authority. As he was speaking that, the Lord spoke judgment on Nebuchadnezzar and he literally struck him down um, and he made him to get on basically on all fours and for seven years, as, as the scripture says, seven times Passover. And for seven years, the Bible says that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king who was given dominion over the world, over the fowls of the air, the beasts of the earth, this great king was out there in the grass eating grass like an animal. God struck him down and gave him a beast's heart. 
And verse 33, uh, we see, The same hour was a thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is his testimony, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Quite a change that happened in Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 36, at the same time my reason was returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. You stand with me tonight. What an amazing event that happened. It sounds like a great reset took place to this lion, this head of gold, this great King Nebuchadnezzar. And let me ask you, do you think that after all of this, do you think that King Nebuchadnezzar, after eating grass for seven years and having his nails grow out like eagle's claws and his hair like eagle's feathers, And after his heart and his reasoning returned to him, do you think after that, after confessing who the real one true God is, do you think that after all that, that he kept on conquering the world like he used to? Do you think he kept on going around like a winged lion with a ferocious beast appetite, just devouring nations around him, or did maybe a reset happen? That a reset happened and a man's heart was given to him. A heart that acknowledges who the real king is. Who the one who holds all the power is. And he says in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in his pride, he is able to abase as he talks about it from his own life, as he walked in pride, as a lion walks with pride, but yet God abased him, brought him low. When you, at one point in your life, were walking around the king of your own world, with the wings of eagles doing your own will, pursuing after your own wants. And then what happened one day, you came to an apostolic church and you realized that you weren't in control. You thought you were rocking around in your own kingdom, but you, 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 
you realized you were not in control and the wings of your will were plucked out at this altar and you repented of your sins and you were baptized in Jesus' name and you received the gift of the Holy Ghost and, and you know you did because you heard yourself speak in a heavenly language and, and a great reset happened and, and then God gave you a new heart, a, a heart to worship God, a heart to live for Him, a heart to praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven and I, I'm sure that the great King Nebuchadnezzar was grateful grateful for that great reset that took place in his life because he finally understood that it's not by his will or by his power that things happen but it's by the king of heaven whose will is done in this earth and I'm grateful for the great reset that happened in my own life where I came to that altar where I encountered Jesus Christ where I submitted my will and my desire to him and saying Lord it's not my will but it's your will be done that's what needs to happen in our life and in this world is a great reset where this world comes back to Jesus it repents of their sins it turns from their wicked ways and then God would hear from heaven and heal our land and restore all the blessings that he has poured out but only until a reset happens in our hearts then that can any of this happen I don't know about you, but uh, I'm, I'm, I want to see a re reset happen, a spiritual reset, a great repentance, a great returning to God happen in this world, in America, because we that's what we need in this life. We need to turn back to Jesus Christ. And we are the people of God. We need to be showing the way. We need to be leading the way uh, to where this happens. And I'm grateful that we're here tonight by the grace of God. Can we worship Him tonight? Can we give Him praise? Can we thank him for his grace, his mercy, his love that he allowed us to be here, that he intervened in our life because we are roaring around as a lion in our own will, but our will was not good. Come on, let's worship song. him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Shout for the it out sound. louder than before. Hallelujah, Jesus.
Oh, let's worship the Lord together. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. We exalt you, Jesus. We lift you up, God. We magnify your name. We exalt you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Man, if some, some pagan king some 1,600 years ago can come to the point in his life where he exalts the king of heaven, where he says there's only one God and he sits on the throne and it's his rule, it's his will that is done in this world. Amen. How much more should you and I be worshiping the Lord and be lifting him up as much as you and I uh, have come to know about this God, his name Jesus. Amen. It's amazing that no matter how much time has passed, no matter how long history goes on for, the same God that Nebuchadnezzar prayed to and worshiped, we're worshiping and praising today. Amen. Amen. And we are the people of God and we are uh, the example, the light of this world. Amen. Because the great reset happened in our life. Amen. And so what a great day that was. Amen. Be uh, before we dismissed, um, I, I really believe that we are, God is shifting uh, our church and, and taking us to uh, higher heights, deeper depths with God. Amen. And I know that God has great things in store for us. And, and I believe, I personally believe that the next level of dimension, uh, dominion and authority that God gives to our church here in Fort Myers, apostolic praise. I believe that that is going to come through the men of apostolic praise tabernacle. That the men of God uh, gathering together and, and taking their dominion and authority that God has given us. I believe that uh, the apostolic mighty men, uh, if we to rise up together, if we, if we get together and start declaring and taking authority over this city, I believe that's where we're going to see the next breakthrough happen. Amen. The next level of authority and dominion happen. Amen. It comes, it's going to come through the strong arm of the men. And with that belief... Um, starting Monday, I want to open up the church in the morning for an early morning men's prayer. That if you can come before you go to work, come here and pray. Man, I believe that God's going to bless that and, and going to honor that. Now, I'm going to open up. We'll, the doors will be open by 4 a.m. I mean, I don't, everybody goes to, time, to work at a different time. So somewhere between 4 and 7, 4, whenever you come. But if the men can get up one early one day a week and come here and start praying for our city and binding together, I truly believe we're going to start seeing something great. You believe that? Will you help, with, help me, men? Help me, help me uh, Monday mornings. There's going to be men because the men are going to lead the uh, start off the week. We're going to pave the way for the rest of the week. If the men of God get together and start praying, I believe we're going to see great things happen. And if you do come, uh, make sure that there's uh, breakfast here for you so you can eat some, eat some on your, uh, when you're done praying. Um, I, love, I love my wife's biscuits and gravy, and so that's what I'm going to uh, have, have ready for you. But you're not just gonna, if you just come for the biscuits and gravy, it's not going to work out. You need to come for prayer and bind together with the men, amen, and have some biscuits and gravy on your way to work uh, afterwards. But um, 
I'll, I'll be here uh, opening up early. Actually, there's other people here about that time. But I have to leave about 5.30. And so if you come in after 5.30, you're not going to see me. But know that I'm here opening up 3.30, 4 o'clock, getting things ready and praying. So uh, I, I, I hope to see you men there uh, just coming in and praying and start to set a new standard. Amen. Because we're going we're gonna to see revival happen. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name. Let's go forth in the power of God.